Well, welcome to another uh, edition of the Boilers Extra Podcast. We are tonight following uh, Purdue's, uh, in some degree, thrilling loss. Right. <laughs> there is, can be one. But anyway, they lost 47-44, to 44, triple overtime, longest game in Purdue football history, uh, to Wisconsin. Uh, we have a lot to unpack from this game and what's going on. Uh, Join tonight, uh, Nathan Baird, not with us. He's in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, uh, covering the men's basketball team. Uh, Mike DeFabo, who do you work for again? All you need to know is I'm basically the second-string quarterback. That's what's happened right now. Nathan is not able to be here, so what you're trying to tell me is that you're here I am. I'm, I'm the backup. I'm here. I'm ready to do Are my Are you job. telling me that I'm not uh, a quarterback? You're like the coach. You call the plays here, and then Nathan typically is the quarterback. Okay. But like any good backup quarterback, I'm just ready to go in and do my job when called upon. I'm ready. Let's let's do this thing. But who do you work for again? Uh, CNHI. Okay. There's 13 papers here in Indiana. You can pick up my paper tomorrow in the Kokomo. <laughs> go ahead and drive down to Kokomo, pick one up, drive back, and uh, read the story that I wrote. Right. Anyway, he's filling in tonight. They coerced him to, to come to... Uh, to eat good in the neighborhood, <laughs> and uh, uh, while we dissect what happened today uh, at Ross Aid Stadium, as I said, a lot to unpack. And just one other side note: Michaela is our waitress tonight. She's doing a fabulous job. She's from Minnesota. She is a super senior. Right, like a which, red shirt. Right, I, I think. Yeah, or maybe she got a six year of eligibility. Yeah, applying for a medical red shirt right now. For a medical red shirt. Anyway, she's majoring in some sort of financial stuff. Yep. So I guess I can look at my, uh, I have her look at my portfolio and give She'll her. Probably medicine. mainly just look at how much of a tip you give her. Use <laughs> her financial true. skills to figure that out. And also, he won't be on the podcast tonight, but uh, Purdue radio guru of uh, football and uh, women's basketball, Tim Newton, enjoying uh, a late dinner with his wife in the, in the booth across the way. So that's the scene setter here tonight. Yeah, you can just imagine it right now. <laughs> All right, on with the game. Uh, we'll start first, just kind of your initial hot take of, of what happened uh, today. A lot of things to choose from. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt like it was going to end up being the story. I mean, Mar- Marcus Bailey was is not t- – he's a good talker, but he was very introspective afterwards. I thought he had an interesting point where he said that – this could have been a symbolic game for the senior class, you know, where things didn't go their way and they battled adversity and they came out on top and left the game with the win and left the program better than where they found it. Um, instead, it was really the story of Jonathan Taylor being an NFL-ready running back, running behind a couple All-American caliber offensive linemen, coming up and spoiling that senior day with an incredible performance. I don't think Purdue had any kind of an answer for him all night and he ended up kind of just spoiling their senior day. Uh, my high take is, and I'm, I'm going to follow a little bit what you said with Marcus. When I talked to Marcus, he he put the he put the blame on the defense, and it's easy to do when you give up 47 points, granted in three overtimes, and you allow one guy to rush for 321 yards uh, and dominate you the way that he did. But I'm going to put this on the offense because there was there were a couple opportunities. You get the first one at the, late in the first half where they had. Jeff had done a good job managing the timeouts, uh, and, and the defense held uh, Wisconsin to a field goal, mm-hmm. and they had a chance to get in the uh, end zone and didn't do it. Right. But to me, the key juncture of the game 
and it, it, it became my key plays in the grading that I did, uh, is when they had recovered the muff punt, they drove down, they got they were first and goal from the 10, Markel Jones has a nine yard run, doesn't get in, second down, no gain, third down, minus one, they settle for a field goal. At the time, they're leading 24 to 13 with roughly 10 minutes to go. If they push that into a touchdown, it's 31 to 13. It's a three-score game, and Purdue wins that game. Mm-hmm. You're gonna vacuum? I'm gonna borrow this for just. You're gonna vacuum? Is that loud? It's not too bad. Okay. Is that okay? <laughs> well, we're recording a podcast, so we don't want it to be too loud. You can test it right no, now. It's okay. All right. What's your name? I'm Christine. Christine? Yes. Where are you from? I'm from Kokomo, Indiana. Oh, so oh there you go. There. Okay. Do you, you ever the read Kokomo Tribune? <laughs> yes. <laughs> ah, she looks excited. Go. Yeah. <laughs> he writes for the Kokomo Tribune. Oh, really? Well, yeah. kind of. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. All right. Nice. In the sports section. Yeah. Okay, really? All right. That's awesome. Yeah. Are you a student at Purdue? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What year are you? I, well, I'm a fifth year because of uh, my so. You're not a, you're not <laughs> a super? You know, I walked under the belt. Now. You're not a super senior? Uh, yeah, I am. Oh, we got two of them. Yeah, red shirt. Yeah, two red shirt seniors. <laughs> All righty. Yeah. Thanks right. for stopping well, I by. I got other stuff I can use. All right. Okay. Sweet well, thank you. I'll make sure I keep All right. Thank you very much. Uh, where was I? <laughs> Back to the offense. I put the onus on the offense. Uh, Should we start over? No, 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 no. We're not starting over. <laughs> We're not starting over. That's part of the that's part of the charm of being in a restaurant. <laughs> I put the onus on the offense. Yeah. Uh, I, I felt like if they got up by 18 points, Wisconsin was going to get out of its comfort zone, and they would have had to throw the ball, throw throw the ball but, in the passing yeah. game with 10 minutes to go and up three scores, and also more of the offense when they had an opportunity when when the game got to a seven-point game and it, it became tied they, they didn't do anything with it when they had been I thought semi-productive against that defense most of the night so so are, is your is your point that you think that that play was poor execution or was your point that you felt like Purdue should have gone for gone for it at that point in the game and tried to score the touchdown at that point um, was it is it play calling or is it execution that you're it's execution I mean I just feel that was a key moment in the game that you got to go. I mean, if you go up three scores in that game, and you're also, but you're also thinking that at that point, Wisconsin has 13 points. You, your defense has done a good job up to that point with 10 minutes to go in the game. Mm-hmm. Even though they had uh, Jonathan Taylor had ripped off an 80-yard run to start the second half, for the most part, your defense had kept them in check. Kept them out of the end zone. They were one-dimensional, but in a different way. You normally think of one-dimensional being a team like Purdue was today. Purdue was one-dimensional in one way, where they only could throw the ball and couldn't run the ball at all. And Wisconsin was run one-dimensional in the other way. Right. But I I just felt like this was on the offense. And to me, this whole season has been about the offense. Because the defense we knew was going to struggle. We knew the defense was going to have issues. And the defense has played... I I think the defense is, when you look at from start to finish, has has played better than what I thought they would play from start to finish. Yes, they gave up a lot of rushing yards today. They gave up a lot of points. But when you get in overtime, a lot of that thing, a lot of those things, in my opinion, just become magnified. Mm-hmm. So the other, I guess, another question is: Should Purdue scores into the second overtime? It's 41 to 40. Should Jeff Brown gone for two? No, he didn't go for two. And no, no, no. That wasn't my question. 
Should he have gone, he have for, gone for, for two? two? I, my answer is still no. Okay. Uh, because of the way the game was playing out. Like, let's say that Purdue was in a game that was a shootout. Let's say they were playing in the Missouri game. And Purdue's going up and down the field. They're moving the football well. Uh, they're scoring in the red zone. Then, yes, you have the momentum. You score. You go for two. You win the football game. Uh, you're celebrating with the band. But in this game, Purdue had two other, as Jeff Brom pointed out, they had two other goal-to-go situations. And they ran six plays inside the five-yard line, and none of them worked for a touchdown. So you mean to tell me that Purdue has already failed six times inside the five-yard line, and now on the seventh time they're going to score? I don't know. I, I think that it would have been a brutal way to lose like that. I agree with Jeff Brom that you kick it there and keep playing. But he talks about being aggressive. All righty. Tim Newton on the way out, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but he talks about being aggressive. And I, there's different degrees of being aggressive. I get yeah, that. Yeah. But this was his chance to be, you know, to be that aggressive guy and go down. You know, he always talks about go down swinging and, and fighting. And I, I see what he's saying. He said, well, nothing was working there. But you know in his bag of tricks, he has, he has a handful of two-point plays that nobody has seen this year, um, and I'm not, I'm not really criticizing him for for not going for it because yes, the game was moving back and forth, but you were, you were not going to stop them. Purdue was not going to stop that team because Wisconsin is built for overtime, with the offensive line and the running game. There's no pressure on the quarterback. It's all about the running game. So, and you know this might be a little second guessing, but I, I would lean. I would probably lean. I'm a big leaner, by the way. Yeah. I would lean toward him probably going for two. Because I think Paul Chris thought something was up because he called a timeout right before the extra point. That's what I was trying to figure out. Was he trying to ice Spencer Evans? No. I think or he was, was he trying to... I think he was protecting a trick play. Yeah, call, call the timeout and make sure that his defense knew that there could be a trick play coming. Yeah. I mean, it was a situation where had Jeff called for the two-point conversion, got it, you would have said he's this aggressive coach and he deserves a tremendous amount of the credit for the win for taking such an aggressive move. If he would have lost on that type of play, he would have received also most of the blame. Uh, but by not going for two, I don't think that... I think it's a discussion point and something worth talking about, but I don't think that you say Purdue lost because of no, that no, no, or, no. or anything along those no, lines. I, I, but, but you're right, it is... It is a discussion point, and I think there, there were a lot of people on Twitter that were angry and said, exactly like you said, Jeff has, has talked about how we want to go down swinging, I never want to go down being conservative. If you want to call it that, that was technically a conservative move, but it was also the one I think probably 95% of coaches would have made. Right. Um, he has in the past, although actually. Although there was a coach today that didn't go that way. Right. The Maryland guy. Uh, yeah, you're against right. Ohio State, Good they, point. And, and they had a wide open play where the quarterback dismissed missed the play. But and I, the re- other reason I say I would lean toward him doing it because you're sitting at five wins. If you were sitting at four wins, you needed to win two to get bowl eligible. You're sitting at five. You've kind of you you have a win in your back pocket a little That's bit. True. You're going to go to Indiana, and if you if you kind of go down swinging, you know you get a little pat on the back and say, well, thanks for being aggressive type thing, and now go to Indiana and, and and win the game and become bowl eligible. But, you know, I see both sides of it, and I I, I, I see where he was coming from because I, I think he got 
he got shy a little bit based on the lack of production inside the five-yard line from yeah. earlier in the game. The other thing, and the reason why I think Maryland went for it is because they had really nothing to lose. They were really the underdog against a top-ten team. So if Purdue was more of an underdog and the game had unfolded in a different manner, I think he also would have been uh, more convinced that that was the right move. Yeah, but anyway, as you said, it's a great discussion point. Yeah, I'm sure we'll be talking about it for a while. I'll probably ask him about it again on Monday. Yeah, make him relive <laughs> it again. Okay, Jeff, which do you want to talk about Monday, the two-point conversion or the Louisville job? <laughs> right. <laughs> which one do you think he'd pick? Uh, he'll probably just talk <laughs> about neither. All right, so what are you, what, what else stood out about today? Uh, Rondell Moore. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that – well, here's my question for you. You're the editor of Sports Center right now. Oh. Okay. <laughs> you and you get to pick one of his plays to make Sports Center top ten. Which of the two are you going for? Because there are two pretty good ones. There's the one play that David Blau hit him down the seam between double coverage. There's a safety coming over. Uh, in the XFL he would have pulverized <laughs> Rondell Moore. Instead Rondell Moore just hits the little uh, zero button, <laughs> the O button. Do you know that since you're not a millennial? Uh, I, video I'm, game references? I'm familiar with some uh, it means a Madden spin move. references. It means yeah. a spin move. Okay. He hits the spin move, goes into the end zone. Or, in overtime, what I thought was going to be the game winner, David Blau hits Rondell Moore for a quick little screen pass. Rondell Moore runs past two guys, jukes a third guy, bulldozes a fourth guy, and is into the end and zone. And bounces off another one. Yeah. They just showed that on TV, by the way. So, so which of the two would you put in Sports Center? I, I would put his second touchdown, the overtime touchdown, because uh, at the time of the game uh, and what it meant at the time, I, I would put that one. That would be my lead highlight uh, of that. And uh, did you think at that time that Purdue had won the football game? No, because the uh, Wisconsin was going to get another shot. <laughs> and I, you know they were as long as there was. As long as they had a chance to have the ball, they they were going to score. Right. Uh, it, this was going to have to be, as it got into overtime, they were just going to have to keep, Purdue was going to have to score touchdowns. I, I felt, I didn't feel Purdue was going to win the game when they kicked the field goal in the third overtime because they needed to, they needed to score touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, then the whole two-point thing, you start going for two at that point. But, uh, but Rondell Moore was, I mean, he showed us something new tonight with the spin move and then what he did in, in overtime. Uh, I mean, the guy is uh, he, hes just pretty remarkable. And he's doing it again, and we've all talked about it, but he's doing it as the only guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only true, really, playmaker of that receiving core. Now, you know, Zico's had some good games. Terry Wright's had some good games. But Rondell Moore is... A legitimate playmaker and teams are are defending him to take him away right what's well, like Jonathan Taylor everyone knew that Jonathan Taylor was gonna get the ball and he still was effective everyone knew Purdue was trying to get the ball to run no more and he still found a way as I mentioned they were double covering him on that touchdown and he still finds a way to make the catch spin off a guy and get to the end zone yeah I mean, he's, he's a special player um, what, he, what impresses me about him is, and I think you saw it both times, is his strength. Like, you see so many times these guys who are fast, and you hit them and they fall into, break into a million pieces. Uh, the Steelers a couple years back had a guy like that. He had the chicken and shrimp. Thank you. Oh, here we go. It's sizzling, too. <laughs> I hope we can get the sizzle on the podcast. 
There you go. You might have to put the microphone down there a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's me. eating good in the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he's he's strong, and uh, I'm sure he eats his chicken and shrimp frequently as well. Yeah, from a certain restaurant. Chick-fil-A, yeah. his favorite. Right. No, his strength is, I think, the one thing that gets overlooked about him. I mean, we're all familiar with it because and of he's the, so low to the ground. I think yeah. he's just so hard to tackle. He is because hard of to that. tackle. And I, I, I firmly believe he, he's going to be a guy. Uh, I've talked to a couple NFL scouts that really, really like him. And you know, and I, I threw out the name Tariq Hill. Yeah. And that's he. And the scout goes, yeah, that's that's who you're looking at right yep, there. Yeah, exactly. And Purdue uses him in a lot of ways. The Kansas City Chiefs use Tariq Hill. And I mean, I think at this point, he's on the path. Where there were there were people who thought that he was too small to play in college. There were some schools that were dissuaded by him because they looked at the, the height line. And once again, it's a great point. People should not overlook short guys. I know a lot of guys who are like five six, great guys, great writers, great athletes, really strong, handsome, good looking. I'm talking about myself, of course. But so you're speaking of you're speaking from experience. As a short guy, <laughs> let me just say I respect Rondell Moore a lot. <laughs> but. But no, for real, um, I mean, it is incredible that there are some people who didn't think that he could play in college because he was too short. And well, now, play at this level. Play at this level. And now he looks to me like a guy who's a three-year guy that ends up going to the NFL early. Uh, yeah, if things progress the way the way that they they should, and you add more playmakers, and uh, <laughs> go from there. Ketchup. That's a ketchup sound in case you were watching. You can pick that one up. Uh, but yeah, Rondell was special today, and I thought Terry Wright had a nice game. He made some, you know, he's continued to, uh, to be more reliable and dependable uh, with some deep balls. You know, Zico made a couple of nice plays. So I think the the kind of the, their three core receivers, Zico Wright and and Moore, have really kind of separated themselves from everybody else and. And if you give David some time back there, he, you know these guys are are, are, are going to get open against. I, don't, I think Wisconsin's secondary is shaky, and it, right. you know the the fact that um, they they gave up some big plays today kind of proves that. But mm-hmm. you know they should be able to have a nice game next week against Indiana. Mm-hmm. Well, we we touched on it in the beginning, but maybe we should talk a little more about the senior class. Uh, like as Marcus Bailey mentioned, this is a class that came into the program at a rough point, went through their struggles a lot. What was the term that, that Kirk Barron was saying that they called them? The guys that... Oh. <laughs> he calls them the hazelnuts. I like that. <laughs> well, he called me a hazelnut. Hey, you are a hazelnut. <laughs> I was here for one year of hazel. I was here for six games. But he was... Uh, he was uh, the other On Tuesday, he, he called... Uh, him and Cole Hartman called me a hazelnut because I was here when those guys got here. Actually, the day that Kurt committed... I was at the camp. Oh, for real? Uh, Participating? Uh, what was your 40? <laughs> yeah. Daryl wanted to put me out. You didn't get out. an offer? I did not get an offer. Oh. Um, but I was uh, actually there the night that he committed. And the week, uh, it was the same weekend David Blau had come up. And we were uh, was around. He committed that weekend as well. Uh, they were just referencing that yeah. the senior class is... But what you do you know, think the what do you think the legacy is of this? Season? Well, I, I thought today was a cruel ending for him. It's yeah. brutal, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I thought it was a cruel ending for him at Ross State Stadium, a game they had control of with about 10 minutes to go, and they couldn't finish it out. And you know, I, I do. I you know, and David Blau said it during the interview, and I, I agree with him that uh, 
they, they, the program is in a better place, in part because of them, in part because of what Jeff Brom has done in the first two years. But they're they're leaving they're leaving this uh, program in a in a really good place. But also, what I wrote that's on jcnline.com, by the way, okay. is that they really need they need to win next week to truly lay a foundation for the future now there's a lot of moving parts with the future we don't know exactly what's going to to happen and how much this future gets disrupted based on Jeff from Jeff from Louisville decision that's right. going to be coming up but for right now for what we know um, I really truly think that they need to win next week to to really set that foundation to to push this thing forward yes Michaela how may we help you How's everything tasting? It's great. Fantastic. Do you need anything yeah. else right now? Not right now. Okay. I'll Thank you. Too. Right. Because um, I, I, I don't. I think getting to a bowl last year, not getting to a bowl this year, it, it's not a step back. It's just you want to be equal or better than when, what you were the year before, and it's important for a Purdue, for a program like Purdue to be in a bowl game every year. Right. Regardless of where yeah, it's at. Yeah. Be the first time since 2011, 2012 that they were in back-to-back bowl games. They would have an opportunity then to go to three straight bowl games, which they haven't done in since the Tiller era. Um, I mean, what, but when I came into the season, I think that what I said was I expected Purdue to take a little bit of a step back this year before taking some two steps forward next year. So even though the season hasn't gone the way I expected, I mean, I didn't expect them to beat Ohio State. I didn't expect them to lose to Eastern uh, Michigan. But overall, still, this is about still what I expected from this. No, team when Nathan and I talked at the beginning of the year, we both had them at six and six. And if they win, they're going to be six and six. It's not to say that oh, look at us, we were right. But I didn't yeah. have them six and six in this way. I didn't have I didn't have them beating Ohio State. That's what makes a season. I didn't have them losing to Eastern Michigan. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what makes a season so bizarre. Yeah. I mean, this has to be one of the craziest seasons when you factor in, they start 0-3, they beat, then they go on to beat three ranked opponents, including Ohio State, which is at the time the number two team in the country. Now you throw in the speculation with Jeff Robin to Louisville, he's going to be the coach, and it all, it's all going to come down to the final week of the season where they're playing their rival, Indiana University. They both have five wins, both need the victory to become bowl eligible. I think that it was last year was the first time ever that both teams had five wins and needed yeah. the victory to become eligible. Now, now here it is again, but it's like rematch, but this time in Bloomington. Well, so I'm sure it'll be best two out of three as we get as we get moving forward. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, it's it's just it's just strange because they started the year with three straight losses, and they could end the year with three straight losses, and that would be I, I think a. Not devastating, but uh, it would it would kind of change how you view this season if they are not uh, if they don't win on on Saturday against IU. Well, it, it, a couple weeks back, I think that you know you wouldn't have been crazy to say Purdue has a chance to win the Big Ten West. We were looking at that; those were the discussions we were having a couple weeks ago. Now, if they were to go from winning the Big Ten West and playing in Indianapolis to not even getting the 13th game at all, uh, that would be that would be disappointing just because of the way that the season shook out. It wouldn't have been disappointing if you said that 
at the very beginning of the year necessarily, but it, it's disappointing, I think, considering the way. But I also think the way the season has played out shows you still how far they have to go. You know, there's there's a consistency factor that goes into all this. Uh, there's stocking the roster with talent and depth, so when you face a team like Wisconsin, you don't get worn down on the defensive line by undersized guys, yeah. and you've got more quality depth throw in there. You're adding a couple uh, playmakers to Rondell Moore, so they can't double-team him. They've got to worry about everybody. And you're going to need some upgrades on the line, on both, on especially the offensive line going into next year, because you're losing a lot of guys. And I, you know, I thought in their, when you look at their last three losses, there's a common theme here, in my opinion. It's the physicality of what Michigan State, Minnesota, and Wisconsin kind of did to them. Not, you know, they early in the game they didn't seem to have a good handle on it. But as you get as they as they move a le- little bit later in the game, kind of in the middle portions, they seem to get it under control. But then Wisconsin got that back in the fourth quarter when they didn't have to get out of their game plan as far as forcing to throw the ball. They just lined up and just used their strength to, to roll over Purdue. And I think the physicality of it all kind of changed, you know, that has been the difference in their three losses. In my opinion. Yeah, yeah, you're right there. In that's the question. I mean, that's the thing that we haven't addressed yet. But does Jeff have to stay here long enough to build it himself, or is it going to be someone else that does it? I mean, there was all this speculation and rumor and stuff like that about whether Jeff was going to stay here this week, and he answered questions and he did it in a somewhat diplomatic way, I think, where he left himself room where no matter what he decides, you can say that he didn't lie. Um, which I think is important to him. I think he does not want to lie to us, and so he's intentionally answering questions. Well, it's not to us. It's just to everybody. Yeah, just in general. You're right. The fan base. And and here's the thing. He's going to let down one of his two fan bases. Right. Because... He can't coach both programs. Exactly. (laughs) Purdue Purdue fans have... I mean, they've, they've fallen in love with Jeff Brown because of not only his fun trick plays and... Um, you know the way he lights up the scoreboard but also just his personality fits with this area so well but then at the same time Louisville he's like their favorite son and if your favorite son doesn't want to come home when you assume that he's just going to come right in that door and save your program they're going to be incredibly disappointed he's he's in a very tough situation right. and I thought after the game he, he looked like a guy who's had a rough week right I don't think he would ever admit, admit that um but this has to wear on him because he, he had, it forced him out of his comfort zone. He, he knew questions were going to come Monday. I mean, he knew that. But what threw him off guard was the, you know, the the tweet slash report that he was going to be named the coach uh, the Monday after the bucket game. And uh, he knew that when he met with us on Thursday, which uh, which was a regularly scheduled press conference that we have every Thursday, it wasn't anything special. Uh, although every time I think we're there, it, it is special. It is kind of special. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then he had to address his team about it, and he's had to. It's had to weigh on his mind a little bit, even though. And I, I didn't think, and I wrote this earlier in the week that the Louisville situation couldn't couldn't become a distraction. And I didn't. It, it didn't look like on the field it was. No. If, uh, if Purdue had come out and played like trash. <laughs> 
then Minnesota. <laughs> then, then you could have, then you could have realistically said, yeah, that's what happened. Guys quit on him. They quit on each other. They got caught up in the speculation. That's not what I saw. That's not the reason no. why they lost. No. Purdue didn't lose because of Louisville. Purdue lost because of Jonathan Taylor. They lost because. Uh, they couldn't make plays. They couldn't make they plays, plays in the red zone. In the red zone. Right. I mean, those were the reasons why Purdue lost. It, right. had, it had nothing to do with Louisville. No. Um, which I think, in a way, speaks to Jeff Brom as a coach, too. Because I was thinking earlier in the week, you know, he's gone through these tough times, but this could have been his biggest test yet at Purdue. How do you get a group of guys that are 18 to 22 years old to play hard for you when everyone else is telling you that, that your coach is leaving? Well, even if you have the doubt that he's going to leave, especially the guys that he recruited. Mm-hmm. You know, for the seniors, you know, they went out and played for themselves because this was their last game. They played for them and themselves and their teammates. The younger guys had more at stake with this because he recruited them or they've got another year or two left with him. Right. Um, and he's, you know, he it's somebody that, as you mentioned, I mean, I, I think people have migrated toward him. They've embraced him. You know, I tried to ask him the question Monday if he's if he's developed that bond with the, with the community. And it's like, well, I, I see where you're going there type mm-hmm. of thing. And I think he has to some degree because, you, you know, you go back and you look at the post-game celebrations against Ohio State and Iowa. And he's standing out in the middle of the field, the middle of the field, even though he says he was told to go out there for an interview. Right. But he just—he just—if you go back and look at those moments, he just kind of standing there and soaking it all up. Like, man, this is this is pretty good. <laughs> this is this is a pretty good gig here. Right. And I don't know if they're allowed to rush the field of Louisville. <laughs> but I know. and I know that you were you were criticizing the fan base after the Iowa game. And I would disagree with you because, and I understand you want to get to a point where you don't rush the field. That means you've arrived to some degree. But I think in this year, it was okay to rush the field. Yeah, yeah, I I get it. I understand. I'm not going to regurgitate that take again. (laughs) Uh, My point initially was it's better to be like Rondell Moore and hand the ball to the referee and act like you've been there before. And I didn't think it was a... I didn't think it was a field rushing worthy game, the but, but game. whatever. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. The, the Iowa game wasn't a wasn't a true field rushing moment. It wasn't even an upset. They were favored, but I mean, Iowa's ranked higher. It was ranked. Yeah, but Michigan beat a ranked team that same day, and they didn't rush the field. Okay, now we're getting into deep yeah. stuff that we don't need to talk about. Right. Because obviously we're going to agree that's, to disagree. That's, that's, that's weeks ago. Yeah, let's focus on let's, one game season like. All right. So is there anything to talk about with the with the Brom situation right now? I mean, at this point, I think pretty much we're all in a waiting period. I mean, everyone knows that Louisville wants him. Everybody knows that there's going to be some discussion there. I mean, I don't think that that's speculating too much to think that the favorite son that every single person in the world has connected to Louisville is going to at least have a conversation. Now the ball's really in his court. I think that we're going to have a period here where this week, uh, I expect, I don't think that anything earth-shattering is going to happen unless Dan Dockage feels the need to, <laughs> to get a couple more clicks on his tweets and some retweets, but I don't know. I, I think that now we're just kind of in a waiting period to see what Jeff ends up deciding. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think at least, it, like, like you said, unless something comes out this week, that it should be a relatively calm week from that standpoint that 
a lot of the questions will be, most of the questions will be about playing IU, bowl eligibility, um, and it's not, you know, and don't misunderstand us, the, the whole Louisville thing, and there's a lot more questions we could ask about it, but we're not going to get any answers. We're not going to get any clear answers. He's been asked point blank, right. oh, are you going to be the coach next year? And he avoids the question, and he's been asked point blank, would you talk to Louisville? I mean, you asked him point blank, is it your goal to be the Louisville coach? Which I thought was a great question. I was going to say thank you. Oh, thank you. You <laughs> oh, just want me to pay for your meal tonight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought that was the, the improper benefit I get from being a quarterback. But, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. He's, he said everything. I think he's handled this as well as you can handle it. I mean, he's going to face a variety of questions, and he answered them as best he could. And now it's just a matter of everyone's just going to have to wait and see what he decides. We're, you can't you can't read between the lines. You can't ask him just the right question or get just the right response to be able to figure out what this guy's thinking in his head. Right. You know, he has to make a decision at some point, and only then, once he makes this decision and it comes out, are we going to really know what he wants. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there, to me, there's, there's people, I mean, you know, I look at it a couple ways. It's what you know and what we know right now about the situation. But there's a, but then there's going to be a lot of people who think they know. And you've just got to be careful about, you know, how many how many people have approached me and contacted me about, oh, he's flying on this plane to Louisville. He's, he's doing this. He's doing that. And you have to, to some degree, you have to talk people off the ledge. Because in this era of social media where everything gets out there and then everything gets magnified and then people pass it along as truce it just it becomes really dangerous at that point well, i think people were trying to figure out what he was going to do before jeff figured out what he was going to do right like i'm convinced at monday's press conference he hadn't made up his mind yet at least at that point it was less than 24 hours after the firing and people were trying to figure out is he going or is he staying well, like i don't I, I don't think that he had already made, had made up his I, mind. Uh, I agree with you to a certain point, but I do know, I mean, I do think that he knew with all his connections in Louisville that Petrino was going to get fired that weekend. Yeah. And we, and we all knew it was going to happen probably this year. We all knew Petrino was going to, I knew Petrino was going to get fired from looking at him <laughs> and seeing a guy who wore neck brace to a press conference <laughs> losing, and you only tolerate a guy like that who's winning, so... Right. All right, look ahead a little bit to IU. Uh, this is not Wisconsin who Purdue's going to face. I, I firmly believe if they get back in the uh, in the red zone again, I think they're going to score some touchdowns as opposed to you know, maybe being stymied. And I, uh, you know, it's a much better matchup for Purdue, even though it's down there and they're going to be out for revenge and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's kind of, you know, as Jeff said, you know, tonight, you know, Purdue now is in a, at a point, two years into his tenure, they're playing meaningful games. Every week is a meaningful game. Right. And you're getting to the end of the year, and it's a meaningful game, even though both teams are 5-6, and six, and the winner either goes to Detroit or, or maybe Dallas, which are not the most sexiest bowls out there, but they're bowl games. Right. Uh, so kind of what, what, do you, what do you kind of see happening this week and then, you know, as we get into Saturday's game? Well, I think it's funny. Jeff Brum has this cliche that they live by one-game season. Now it literally is a one-game season for the team. 
it's do or die right now. It's essentially their Super Bowl, I think is what David Blau called it. So uh, there's going to be a ton of emotion, and both teams are going to have so much to play for. It's crazy because even in a season when one team is so much better than the other, anything can happen. Uh, and now you factor in that both teams have a tremendous amount to play for. I mean, I, I'm not going to predict what's going to happen in that game because I think really anything could happen. Still doing it okay? Yeah. Do you want another union? Uh, sure. <laughs> here's, you know, but here's the difference between last year and this year. Purdue had come off that big win against Iowa, had momentum, really feeling good. Now they've lost two in a row. They don't feel good about where they're at. Right, exactly. They're approaching it from the right. opposite perspective. Right. Last year they were ro- rolling into things with momentum. Now they kind of have to restart their engines and find a way to go in there with some confidence. Right. After two, really, one brutal lopsided loss that makes you question yourself. The second one, a brutal last second close loss that you felt like you were in control of. So they lost two games that are two of the toughest ways you can lose, lose football games. One, getting uh, your butt handed to you, and the second one, getting your heart ripped out. And, and now you have to re- rebound and find a way to, to beat your rival on the road with everything on the line. Good deal. Appreciate you coming on the Bowlers Extra podcast. So here's, here's my question, though. Do you think that they're going to comp on real since we said Applebee's? Uh, Say so we were at Applebee's? Probably not. Well, then in that case, I think we should do a, a food review. A what? A food review. We should either <laughs> <laughs> if they if they if they want to give us a free meal, then we're happy. Thank you for Applebee's for hosting us. This has been a beautiful evening, great podcast atmosphere. And if they don't, then we'll just. They probably food. needed to turn the music down just a little bit. I don't know. People kind of like it, probably. <laughs> you probably wish that was turned up and we were turned down. Right. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up here. Uh, and uh, Nathan and I will be back next week, uh, probably on Tuesday, with a more in-depth look ahead. We'll recap what happened in basketball because mm. uh, they have the championship game on Sunday night uh, down in Charles uh, Charlestown. They play uh, Virginia, Virginia Tech. Tech. Yeah. So they're ranked, right? I think they're 18. Yeah. Totally. So you got you got a battle with ranked teams in this tournament, and then we'll look ahead to the. Uh, uh, to the IU game uh, as well. We thank Mr. DeFabio for uh, joining us. Still waiting on uh, uh, Meals on Wheels from uh, Pennsylvania, <laughs> the Italian version, That's right. to, to be delivered my mom. with uh, uh, the lovely Lynn. Yeah, Lynn DeFabio. Yeah, so we uh, we look for her, look for that packet to, to arrive at any time or hand delivered, it doesn't matter. <laughs> or you're bringing back a turkey leg from. From Thanksgiving. Yeah, I'll do that. The Italian turkey. A slice plate. of pie. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for joining us, everyone, and uh, we'll talk to you next week.